Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Western history has led us to the most prosperous age in the history of humanity. And yet more and more, our kids are taught to be ashamed of their country. Are you tired of Common Core, Howard Zinn-influenced revisionist history in our schools? Do you want your family to have fun learning about history that you can trust? Do you want your kids to learn to love history? Then drivethroughhistory.com is for you. The guys over at drivethroughhistory.com have created a world of entertaining, on-location, video-based courses for your kids. They've got ancient history, American history, biblical history, and world history. Perfect for all of you who find yourself homeschooling for the first time. It's fun, and your kids are going to love it. To learn more, head over to drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, where they've got streamed courses and old school DVDs, and you can use the code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off any order. That's drive, com forward slash Zuby. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Two for the fam, not for the grand, stuntly and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we've got on my friend. He is an entrepreneur. He is also the host of the brilliant Modern Wisdom podcast, which I have featured on. And this is, of course, Chris Williamson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Pleasure to be here. Always, man. So I've done a brief intro right there, man. But for people who are not familiar with you, let them know a little bit about you. Cool. So my name is Chris Williamson. I'm a I guess a podcaster from the north of the UK. Um, I have been a club promoter for 14 years. So I've seen a million drunk people go in and out of nightclubs, uh, which is a very unique insight into human nature. Um, was quite a party boy, like that classic club promoter. Everyone knows it, you know, big around town, like that, that kind of guy for a while. Um, did a bit of reality TV. So I was on Take Me Out, which is quite a sort of big dating show on mainstream TV. Then I was the first person through the doors of Love Island season one, um, which again was another unique experience. Blue tick on Twitter, you know, all the big, all the big ones. Um, and then kind of realized just after Love Island that I was missing something. I wasn't really satisfying my curiosity in the way that I needed to. Um, so started to consume more mindful content that was introspective and made me reflect on myself. And I think a lot of people, uh, especially guys, I think uh, will find in their late twenties that they reach this point. I call it the fitness menopause, but there's a, a wisdom menopause that you come across as well, where you just think, man, I'm not aligned with sort of what's going on, what, what I want to do. I'm not speaking my truth forward here. 
spent a bit of time doing stuff, started the podcast three years ago, been very fortunate to speak to 220 amazing people, yourself included. And uh, that brings me right up to this moment now where I'm speaking to you. Awesome, man. Well, there's a lot to get into right there. So first of all, tell us a little bit about the, the club promotion stuff. How did, you, how did you even get into that? Classic university student managed to spend most of my loan within Freshers Week, sat down <laughs> in a seminar next to my would-be business partner. Um, and 14 years later, we've still not got rid of each other. So literally sat down next to him, said, I'm skint, I need a job. He said, I can get you a flyering job. Do you want to come fly for a company? And I did. Um, and that was it. I went flyer boy, junior event manager, event manager, senior event manager, got my first franchise at 19, mm. which was Carnage, which is like a big t-shirt bar crawl. Anyone who went to uni sort of between 2006 and 2012 will know what that Th is. Those you're obnoxious, pink, obnoxious pink t-shirts. That's the one, man. That yeah. was me. Yeah, um, that was you. Okay, we need to have words, no. man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was that was a real sort of formative part of my upbringing um i, I love business i look i've really found a, a joy in being competent at something and obviously there's the finances are a big part of that but i just felt like i had an identity mm. um but after a while i started to attach my sense of identity to the success of the business club promo is a very anxiogenic uh industry to be in mm. it's always super fickle everyone that's listening knows like Last week, that was the cool place to be. But in two weeks' time, no one goes because it's not cool anymore. Which, like, the, no one drops the iPhone because Tim Cook, like, wore the wrong pair of trainers or whatever or said something weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's such a fickle industry. Um, and it's just a unique upbringing to mm. go through that with formative years. Um, but I, I loved it, man. It's been a huge... Um, part of my life that's shaped the way that I get to see things. Obviously, I've seen human nature at its best and its worst when you're watching people pile out of a club at three in the morning. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's very, very unique opportunity to observe people and business. Gotcha. What was, um, what would you say are a couple of things that you learned from that experience? Because like, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, I'm not personally a huge fan of nightclubs, but I think that they're a very fascinating place in a lot of ways like if i the rare times i am in a nightclub i almost feel like one of these um you know david attenborough types who's sort of observing animals in, the, in their habitat and is sort of you know watching watching the males trying to mate with the females and is sort of seeing the social dynamics and everything like that and i just think night nightclubs are just really bizarre when it comes to the way that people behave and even the fundamental concept of people sort of just paying money to go into a very loud noisy very loud, noisy room and drink alcohol <laughs> and be surrounded um, by strangers. I, I find the whole thing um, quite, quite fascinating. So what are some of the sort of key takeaways or things you feel that you've learned from that deep sort of insider experience? Oh, dude, it's been immersive. I've been in the trenches, you know, I've served <laughs> my time, served my time. I'm, I've stood on the front door of a thousand club nights. Wow. So I did like 208 Saturdays in a row without a break. So all my holidays for like throughout a bunch of years were four, four day holidays. That I'd come back and get ready. Um, what have I learned? Nothing interesting or worthwhile happens after 1.30 a.m. <laughs> Fair enough. So if you're on a night out and you're starting to get, you getting towards your late 20s or 30s or whatever, and you think, ah, I don't really have it in me to stay until three in the morning. Just leave at one o'clock. <laughs> Nothing interesting happens after one o'clock i promise you it's just this shuffling slumpy affair where people either like fight or kiss each other to death 
um, uh, and nothing kind of goes on. So that that that's an interesting part. Um, you mentioned about the David Attenborough observation effect. Uh, you can certainly see if you look at it in the cold light of sobriety stood on the door in a big coat. Yeah. You can certainly see some reflections of the animal kingdom. So mm -hmm. if you've ever watched two men who've um, or two guys who've been kicked out for fighting, um, they'll get thrown out outside. Then they'll turn and face each other, and then they'll start to circle like that, <laughs> the same way that stags do. So yeah. stags circle each other like this. And then what they'll do is they'll test each other's strength. So they'll walk up and they'll push. They'll walk up and they'll push. Yeah. And then maybe they'll go to push again. And dude, I'm just like, I'm just watching. I'm just watching like some so you fighting over two deer. Yeah. There's two. There's two. There's two deers over the far side. So <laughs> it's that's particularly interesting. Um, you don't need to have alcohol to have a good night, which mm -hmm. is uh, something that would surprise a lot of people, especially if you're from the north of the UK, especially if you know me from like my early twenties because I was like a party boy, yeah. um, you can have a great night out without drinking, which is 85% of the enjoyment mm -hmm. with 0% of the hangover, which is an unbelievable investment as far as I'm concerned. So I've been, uh, been a trying big to tell people. Dude, I've been a huge advocate <laughs> of sobriety for the last few years. Um, okay. I never had a drinking problem. I drank maybe once a fortnight. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit, I always make the analogy, if you um, spend your spare time as a club promoter going on nights out. It's a little bit like being a porn star and coming home just to have sex. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> what other people do for fun for you is work. Yeah, yeah. So it might seem like, hey man, what are you doing this weekend? Do you fancy going on a night out? And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like that's that's what I did all week. Yeah. Like, I just really, really fancy bird watching or you know, like whatever. Some other alternative. Yeah. Um, you so, can bird watch yeah. in the club too, but it's a little different. Nice. Nice. Uh, so yeah, not <laughs> not needing alcohol is a big a big sort of red pill to swallow, okay. um, and especially forcing yourself to develop social confidence without alcohol for the opposite sex, for making new friends, even for ordering drinks at a bar. I know people that are nervous to order drinks off a waitress or, or off a barman without a drink. They need like a like Dutch courage to go mm. and order a drink to get more Dutch courage, um, and you're never forced to cultivate that if you always rely on alcohol as this supporting structure. So you can yeah. get rid of that. Um, so yeah, you, there's a, a whole host of weird and wonderful stories, but those are kind of the most publicly acceptable ones, I think. No, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't drink. I, I mean, I've never been a big drinker, but I pretty much became teetotal, I don't know, around 21, 22. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I've been trying to explain to people for a long time that you don't need... In, fa in fact, I think one one of the weird things about British culture specifically is the way people do use alcohol as a crutch. Like I don't generally have a, a problem with people drinking, but I think that if you can't go to the bar or speak to somebody or go to the dance floor or whatever, unless you are drunk, then to me, that's like, that's a, that's a problem. Cause then you're, you're using it as a crutch. And as soon as you don't have that, then you can't really function and participate properly in society. Um, I have a theory on why I think that People are like that in the UK, but hit I don't me. know what hit your thoughts me. on We want to hear. We want to hear. Okay. My, my theory is that in the UK, compared to even some other Western countries, but compared to a lot of countries around the world, I think people are very, on average, I think people are quite inhibited and very, you know, it's very, it's very, it's very inwardly polite culture. People are very sort of restrained 
in their behavior. Like, you know, even between the UK and America, you always hear British people say Americans are very loud. They're very, you know, boisterous. They're, they're this, they're that, right? They're more like that. But British people in general are very sort of inhibited and reserved, which is, you know, generally a good thing. But I think that because of that, when people do drink, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, if you imagine almost like a, a wavelength pattern and people are kind of normally there and then it sort of spikes, the spikes the and dips are released. Are, yeah, the spikes and dips are a lot harder. <laughs> Whereas in, in cultures, I don't know, in say some warmer countries in parts of Africa, South America, even more Mediterranean European countries where people are a bit more extroverted and are going out more and socializing more and are a bit less reserved in general. I think there's less of that desire to sort of fully come out of that shell because they're always a little bit more out of it now like Dude, if you're is... if you're italian you're in party mode at 9 a.m yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's sort of what i mean so i don't think they have the same because here it's a real binge drinking culture isn't it like people people drink all over the world but it's a bit more it's more moderated it's like okay a glass of wine here or a beer there whereas in the uk it's like people go out not everybody right but a lot of people go out like I want to get wasted this weekend. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink, and I'm gonna drink until I'm paralytic. And I'm kind of like, okay, that's a strange goal, but you know, you do you kind of thing. Just don't kill kill yourself. I think you're onto something. I Mm. think there's maybe a couple of elements that I would add on, so we can combine these two uh, hypotheses into like a a, a master hypothesis. Um, My reasons that I think people drink in the UK: the weather isn't very good. Mm -hmm. There's not an awful lot that you can do in the UK. Nights are long in the wintertime, which means that you we don't have the same variety of landscapes that you do in America. Uh, you know, we're landlocked, uh, we're water, waterlocked on all sides. I can't drive for more than probably six hours in any direction without being in an ocean. Mm. Um, I can't go boating. You know, no one's friend's got a boat where you can go wakeboarding. There's like one guy who's got a wakeboard in the UK. And... <laughs> he'll be listening he'll be listening that's me john invite me and zuby out on your wakeboard um so uh, first off i think that there's not a whole lot for people to do so they sure. kind of rely on that uh, drinking culture um i also sadly think that there isn't as much upward mobility in the uk as there is elsewhere you know if you're in germany you're surrounded by other countries that you can just drive to i think there's something about being such a small island that's very densely populated with such a long history Mm -hmm. a long heritage people have more of a sense perhaps subconscious perhaps conscious that they they can't like change much that upward mobility personal sovereignty thing Mm -hmm. is um especially in the north working class cities in the north um, is real prevalent. I'm from Stockton originally, which is like a town famous only for having the highest teen pregnancy rate in the UK. Um, it's and it's it's certainly something. Yeah, we lost the um, highest density of prostitutes uh, <laughs> award a, a oh, few wow. years ago, which wow. was obviously to the shame who, of everyone. Who, who, who measures who measures that? I'm one? not sure. I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to know. How do they sir? You, you know when you see certain data points and I'm like, who measured that? Like how how did you come up with that statistic? I agree. Yeah. Um so I think that's part of it. Um and more than that, it's just the subculture, man. Yeah. Like that louty, very kind of weekend warrior lifestyle. Um when you haven't got much else going on, when you can't mm. go to the, the, the beach because you're in you know, Manchester and it's freezing cold or whatever mm. it might be. I think that that combined with what you've spoken about might be a good reason why people tend to binge 
Yeah, I think you're right. And because do you know where else I've been, which has which was very similar in that regard? Um, Iceland. Very similar drinking culture. I've been culture. to Iceland. Only Very difference is that every, everything costs £9,000. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you, if, <laughs> I knew that in advance, fortunately. So when I went to Iceland, I, I went to Asda the day before I flew, and I literally just bought, like, I literally bought food. So <laughs> I, I, I think I ate, like, two meals out there because the that prices were eye-watering. is insane. So I was in a club in Iceland, and I watched a guy... Um, get a huge bottle show in this nightclub in Iceland. And I'm thinking, they've stopped the music. They've got the sparklers out. Like, this guy has dropped some serious cash here. And I'm thinking, there's going to be a Jeroboam of Moe. There's going to be a huge bunch of champagne. There'll probably be some Bel Air. Huge bottle of Grey Goose. One 70CL bottle of Smirnoff. Red label. <laughs> I could, I'm like... Bro, that's ten pounds in an off license. But in the club, <laughs> in the club, it was like two hundred and fifty pounds. Like this guy's balling. I'm like, that's no, he's so not. Funny. He's a student. He's a student in the UK. That's it's just so the funny. fact that you guys are still recovering from a financial crash a couple of years ago. Unbelievable. <sighs> that's mental. Unbelievable. Man. So, how did you end up on Take Me Out? Wait, which one came first, Take Me Out or Love Island? Which was first? That's like chicken, chicken or the egg, isn't it? Um, yeah. Take Me Out was the first one. So. Um, I've been a model, a commercial model for most of my life, but basically mm-hmm. anything for a bit of extra cash. So I like DJ'd for a bit or I do this for a bit. Like it's just... you, might, you might want to caveat that one, but yeah. Well, yeah. I haven't, <laughs> started, <laughs> haven't started an OnlyFans yet, which is, um, despite the fact I've been trying to encourage Douglas Murray to begin one, I think Douglas Murray and Gad Sad would crush it on OnlyFans. Don't bother with Patreon. I just want topless photos of Gad Sad wow. and, and and Douglas Murray workout videos. I reckon. Yeah, Douglas Douglas Murray's got he's gotten hench recently, hasn't he? He's jacked he's, out. He's, his he's, mind. He's, <laughs> he, I saw I saw him one time in one interview. I was like, wait, hang on. I was like, okay, okay. Someone's been lifting. Someone's been lifting. Did you see that his he posted a photo that everyone accused him of posting a thirst pic? Um, <laughs> I don't think it I went this. it went semi-viral on Twitter. But the, the weird thing is that the location of the thirst pick was in the study that Trotsky was assassinated in. So like if you were going to pick a location to post a thirst pick from, like the study of an assa- like Trotsky's assassination probably wouldn't be a fair anyway, enough about enough about Douglas Murray and Gadsad getting naked. Um so uh commercial model uh, Take me out often go to those sorts of places because people are comfortable on camera and they just mm-hmm. want easy um, easy access to people. So I did that. That was fun. Got to meet Paddy McGuinness, went to the Isle of Fernando's. Um, I got taken home by the Guardia Seville, so the Spanish military police. Um, oh, what happened? In, I woke up on the central reservation of Tenerife's largest motorway. Um, I'd gone f- a full send the night before and that caused me to wake up uh, with no phone, no money, no idea where I was or where the hotel was because I'd just been with the film crew, but I'd obviously wandered off, went to some after party with the barman from the bar that we were in where we were filming <laughs> uh, oh, wow. and then woke up. So that was that was fun. And then the same casting team from that does Love Island. So oh, I then right. got um, two, three years later, hey man, we're casting for another show. Do you want to come and try this out? And before I know it, I'm like walking through the doors. Like, wow, okay. So that was okay. It. Well, talk talk us through this. What was the experience on? Um, firstly, can people watch this on YouTube, or is it available anywhere? If you're in America, it is now on like Hulu or Netflix over there, which means that people are from America are asking me and grilling me about things I did five and a half years ago <laughs> when I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Wow. So like, okay, well, so why is it that you didn't like Danielle? I'm, That's so funny. I have no idea what. To, so anyway, um, it was. 
interesting, man. Like, I, I enjoyed the experience, mm -hmm. but the thing that people don't see, especially about reality TV that's filmed in real time like that, is it's really, really boring. It looks, because of the, everyone's got like a super Instagram filter on, you've got a great tan, and obviously there's like a, a Justin Bieber beat in the background over everything. Yeah. Um, like, it looks real fun, but it's actually quite boring because you only get to talk about the situations. M me and you like the same girl, so for the next day, we have to talk about whether you're going to get with her or whether I'm going to get with her because we can't talk about the mutual friend we have that's outside of the villa because that's not publishable content. Okay. So the producers will come in and say, look, guys, like this really, we can't air any of this. This isn't very good. And everyone's there to get on TV, which means it bec becomes this kind of Fisherian runaway selection thing of who can cause more drama or involve themselves in more situations. Mm. And that's not really my bag. Um, yeah. So I was like, I was spending time really admiring the fact that the Milky Way is super visible from the south coast of Menorca at that time of the year, but didn't really sort of ingratiate myself with um, the, the. it wasn't the reason that you're there, right? You're not there to yeah. do f stargazing. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be Causing drama. Uh, girl, girl gazing. Yeah. yeah, fair enough, man. I mean, what what was that? I mean, you, you've kind of touched on it, but I mean, what was the experience like? I mean, I've never actually seen Love Island. I, I kind of, that's, I'm quite proud of this. Just like I'm proud of the fact that I don't know what McDonald's tastes like. I advise um, you to, to keep that <laughs> the same for both of those. Yeah. We'll know that you've gone off. I love that Zuby going off the rails is us finding out that he's ordered a Big Mac <laughs> while he watches Love Island. Yeah, that, that'll be it, man. I've, oh my God. Let, Look, let the side send down. someone around to his house. I'm really concerned about him. I've noticed yeah. on Deliveroo that he's just ordered a, a McDonald's and there's Love Island's queued on Netflix. You know me, Chris, man. I'm with a king of, king of, controversy man that's I'm very, <laughs> I, I always joke i'm like the least controversial person who i may maybe jordan peterson but i feel like i'm one of the least controversial people on earth who, who somehow happens is to somehow, be <laughs> embroiled in controversy on a daily basis yeah i'm kind of like man i'm just i'm just kind of chilling here just trying to you know everyone that's listening that has that friend though right you've got like two different types of friends and they bifurcate you've got the one friend that just loves drama oh my god did you see what that and they're the ones that need to go on love island like they're the ones that need to apply to love island and then you've got the other ones who see drama and just run away yeah. and like i read that that does not sound like me at all um but apparently there's you as well which is like I, I don't even know where you sit. You're somewhere in between the two wearing a trench coat and a like big, big glasses and a fake nose and a mustache, <laughs> like as a, a, a below the line spy. Um, but yeah, so the experience is really unique. Um, anyone that's ever watched any reality TV, I'm sure you'll have seen videos of Big Brother back in the yeah, day yeah, definitely. where they've got like the, the cameras in the ceiling. Um, the fascinating thing is that there's a lot of psychology that goes into making a reality TV show naturalistic. So me and you were talking uh, on the set, but they don't want me and you to be conscious of the fact there's cameras there or else we're going to adjust the way that we talk. Mm -hmm. So they'll have it, it'll be underneath a plant pot, like a little swivel camera, and then there'll be two big long lens booms, one over each shoulder, um, but you won't be able to see that. It'll be outside of the grounds. It'll yeah. be, you know, like 100 yards away, like football mm -hmm. cameras. Okay. Um, and then there'll be like a little one in the, the light. The, that light won't be a light. That'll actually be another little swivel one there. And then there'll be something else here. And we're always mic'd up. And it, it's I, that was the bit that fascinated me. Like I was so much more interested in the production than I was in the actual show. Um, another weird thing, couple of, I'll drop some Love Island facts for people that are fans of the show. Yeah, um, we never knew what the time was. So 
the clocks that were in the villa were always the wrong time anyone who ever came in had changed their watch so that it didn't tell us the right time um i think the reason for that is so that they could control our sleep and wake pattern more effectively so that we didn't know when we were going to bed or when we were getting up because a lot of the time if the guys were really excitable they wouldn't sleep for long enough mm. um so not allowing you to know oh well, i've had four hours that'll be fine and then you run out of gas later on or perhaps the reverse if they needed to push us a bit harder um we had no contact with the outside world which was interesting mm-hmm. um there is someone listening to your mic 24 hours a day even when you're asleep so they do it in different shifts of maybe between six and eight hours and there'll just be a team of people that are like zuby so three or four people listen to you for a month Wow. Every word that comes out of your mouth, every fart sound that you make in the bathroom, <laughs> every like, do you know what I mean? Like everything, every single sound which wow. is in the vicinity of that microphone. So I had been on the show four and a bit weeks or whatever it was, came off and sat down in the canteen to do the checkout interview, which is like match.com want to say, ask you some viewer questions and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And um, two guys came up and sat down to the production team. And they were like, hey, Chris, um, just wanted to sort of, introduce ourselves we're two of the sound engineers like we've listened to you constantly for the last four weeks like oh wow like i'm, I'm sorry but also like hi nice to meet you and they said you, you, there was this thing where you were talking about kip thorne's physics book that was the underwritten uh, theory behind why interstellar had accurate physics depictions uh, he was the consultant physicist would you just be able to tell us a bit i'm like that is a conversation that was so flippant and you just have it, you know what I mean? You just have a, have a chat on the way to the bus stop or whatever it might be. And someone then brings it up four weeks later. So that was like kind of kind of charming and, and unique. But um, yeah, man, it's a, it's, a, it's a good experience. There's not many things left that not many people have done. Sure. Like I always make this, uh, it's not an equivocacy, but more people have been to the top of Everest than have been on Love Island. Mm. I'm not saying that they're the same sort of experience, but my point is there aren't many things left that not many people have done. Yeah. And to have that is is cool. I, like I look on it back backly with fond memories. Yeah. What was it like when you when you came out? Because like I said, I don't watch the show myself, but I do know that it's a I do know that it's a popular show. I know that you know people come out of it and gain some sort of celebrity status, at least within a certain community, etc. So, what was what was that like for you? Thankfully, I don't know whether it's thankfully, man. I've I've never, I still don't have the answer to this. Um, the first season was ten times less popular than the second, which was ten times less popular than the third. So it was like this sort of exponential return mm. on um, how much the public was interested. So I always call the first season like a, a full cost dress rehearsal okay. that they happened to publish. Um, but there was a little bit of attention. You get the blue tick. You do a bit. But in terms of like follower growth and clout. There's not really that much. Like mm. even the guy that won came off with like a hundred thousand followers. You can go on for a day and get two hundred thousand now. Like yeah. as soon as they go on, everyone just knows that what to do is to go and have a nose. Oh my god! Like he knows that person. I know him. What's he like? Blah blah blah. Like mm-hmm. that's just what happens. And the winners come off with two million plus, yeah. and they're set for life. You know, they have a one million. I think someone that won a couple of years ago got a one million pound boohoo deal. Oh wow! Like, you go in as a nobody, you come out six weeks later and are worth a mil. Yeah. There's not many places that you can, you know, six weeks work for a million pounds is, yeah, is not bad, enough. but it, it, it's, it's difficult to cast that off for some of the guys like myself. Like I want to be, I want to be able to sit down with Douglas Murray or Robert Green or Ryan Holiday, all these guys I have on the show. And mm-hmm. I never, ever, ever want them to go back to their wife or partner or whatever it might be 
and say, I had a good chat with this guy from Love Island earlier on. But I'm like, oh, come on. So that kind of casting that off has been uh, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey since then. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, you don't, you don't want it to be, you don't want it to be the thing that defines you for forever, right? I mean, you want people to know you for you and for your work and, and, you know, let's be honest. I mean, Love Island, it's from what I see, it's not, it's not like the deepest show. It's not like you're showcasing your, your intellect and your wisdom and your, you know, sort of, sort of most intriguing qualities as a human being. Um, it's a fairly superficial endeavor. So, you know, maybe that's enough for some people, but I, I know, you know, you're, you're an intelligent guy. You like having these deep conversations, et cetera. And that leads into the Modern Wisdom podcast. So what was it that made you want to create it to begin with? I was featured on a show um, after I came off Love Island. My buddies from Propane Fitness run a great podcast and they said, hey, do you want to come and do this? I was like, I've never done one before. That sounds good. And I just loved it, man. Like I adore this platform. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I know it's a uh, a cliche now. There was this meme floating around a while ago that you might have seen where it was um, four white guys smoke a joint, dot, dot, dot. We should start a podcast. <laughs> like the, um, And that kind of does feel a little bit like what it is, but it's, I just adored the opportunity to have deep conversations. It, it satisfied my curiosity. Uh, and I thought, wow, I really enjoy this. I want to do it myself. I should start my own show and then I can do it as much as I want. Mm-hmm. Did, got really fortunate. Being a club promoter, uh, it's probably the same as being an accountant or like a dentist. Everyone owes you a favor. Like there's mm. everybody owes you a favor somewhere down the line. Or like you as a rapper, like everyone's asked you for guest list at some point. Yeah. And you're like, you know when that, because I know that you know Stephen Fry's daughter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's this bizarre kind of six degrees of separation thing. And that's, that's how you get like Matthew McConaughey on your, on your podcast or something like that. Nice. Um, uh, did you, have so, you had him on? No, but Michaela oh. Peterson has him coming on in a couple of weeks time. Oh, okay, okay. A family oh. friend, which is why okay. he's in my head, which is just going to be, all right, all right. Like, you want a guy? <laughs> what a guy. Have on, Matthew McConaughey. That's cool. I love him. Um, so yeah, started it and then called in some favors, got some good names, and then away we go. Awesome, man. And um, how, how did you go about starting it? Because I know there's, you know, I know how to start a podcast. Of course, I have one. But, you know, there are a lot of people listening who, especially this year, right, in 2020, lots of people are wanting to explore different opportunities. People have these ideas, whatever. But people get... People get stuck on starting. You know, I often tell people like, look, just just get started. It doesn't need to be doesn't need to be perfect. You don't need the some amazing microphone or amazing camera, whatever. Just just begin, you know, start with what you have. But a lot of people struggle to get over that initial barrier. So was that something firstly, was that something that you struggled with? Um, and then what's the journey been like? Because we all know that you know, this stuff starts, it starts really, really slow. As we record this, <laughs> you're, you were just, you were just telling me before we, we started recording that just in the past month or two months or something that you've had more listens on your podcast than you did in the first two years combined, which is just phenomenal exponential growth. And I imagine it's going to, you know, in two years time, you'll be looking back on the numbers you're doing now and you'll Peasant be like, oh, numbers wow. that I'm doing this month. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so first things first, like everything when you start something sucks everything that you do when you begin it sucks Mm. um uh if i was if there's someone listening that wants to know exactly how to start a podcast tim ferris's how to start a podcast podcast from late 2017 is phenomenal you can hack your way to the top of the itunes market uh, the itunes uh, chart like within your first couple of weeks of launch which is really good because then you can use that but 
I used a Blue Yeti, uh, which I can see that you've got in front of you, which is a wonderful microphone. And I used um, the uh, camera on my laptop, Skype, call recorder for Skype, which is an Ecamm Movies Tool plugin, put it through GarageBand, use a male radio noisy plugin, Orphonic, which is a mastering program. I run it through that. Libsyn is the way that, the way that I host it, and I published once a week, and I just didn't stop, and that was it. Um, it feels now like I started early, but even at the time, I minced around about, is it going to be called Crushing a Tuesday? Is it going to be called um, Mind and Matter? Is it going to be called this, this, and this? Mm-hmm. And then one night, two in the morning, woke up Modern Wisdom. I've done brands my whole life. It's the one time I've had like a flash of inspiration. Yeah. Modern Wisdom, I was like, that's it. I've got it. Um, got one logo done and that was that was all, man. Like, and just do it consistently. Pick a day of the week and become a part of people's routines. So I did every Monday. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I wanted to publish more. So I did every Monday, Thursday. Then at the start of lockdown, I wanted to publish more. So Monday, Thursday, Saturday, and we do clips three days a week as well. So like Sunday's the only day that the video guy gets off. Yeah. Um, but you can start it with 200 and... 200 quid mm-hmm. um, and 15 pounds a month of, of hosting fees. And you have, you have your podcast on the same place as myself, as you, as Rogan, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, iTunes, everything. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's good. And if you enjoy having conversations, there's no better place to do it. Yeah. Agreed, man. Most definitely. That's a lot of the same reasons I wanted to start one. Cause of course being, being a professional musician, um, you know, the music satisfies part of my brain, but it doesn't satisfy all of it. And I love having deep conversations. I'm always having deep conversations with my friends, with my, with my family, et cetera. And I was like, man, and you know, I was obviously a fan of a, a lot of other podcasts and I was like, man, you know, it would be cool to just, why, why, why don't I just create my own? And like yourself, I mean, I spent a lot of maybe 10 months into 2018, umming and eyeing and back and forth things thinking okay do i should i should i do a music podcast should i do a fitness podcast should i do a mindset self-improvement like what should the theme be um you know and i i I was stuck on it and then beginning of you know january 2019 is when i started i just said okay new year's resolution i'm gonna i remember i'm dicking around (laughs) i said okay i said i'm gonna start a podcast and i'm gonna make um what did i say to begin with i think i said i'll make 50 episodes and then I had a goal. I remember my goals beginning of 2019. I was like, I want to reach, I want to reach 10,000 followers on Instagram, 30,000 on Twitter, um, 10k, 10k or 20k on YouTube. Um, what? And then I think by like, I think by like April, I destroyed all of my all of New Year's resolutions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so, so there's, there's sort of two things going on here, and I think that your um, ascendance through social media is a wonderful story but is so unbelievably rapid that it seems almost as if it couldn't be replicated um whereas every person that i know has this the hockey stick analogy mm-hmm. you know you just plug away at stuff you mentioned before about the plays for modern wisdom where it's like we will have, we'll do more this month in 28 days than I did in the first two years that I had the show, which makes the first two years feel like a waste of time. But obviously those (laughs) first two years lead up to this. Mm -hmm. James Clear has this beautiful story, Kansas City uh, football team, and they have this um, quote on the wall of the dressing room. um, A stonemason knows that it isn't the hundredth blow that cracked the stone, but the 99 that came before it. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you realize the way that sort of that exponential return 
comes back to you because if it sucks for you, it sucks for every other person that's in that industry as a rapper, as a musician, as an artist, as a whatever. And that resistance that you're feeling is felt by everyone. Mm. So by getting through that resistance, you are self-selecting to be the 1%, even if you totally suck, yep. even if you're absolutely <laughs> terrible, which you won't be, yeah, yeah. but even if you are, you're self-selecting because you're prepared to push yourself through um, that level of discomfort. And uh, recently had Stephen Pressfield, War of Art and Turning Pro on the show. He talks a lot about this stuff. Resistance is always going to be there. You'll have it when you're writing a song. Mm -hmm. um, someone will have it when they're um, trying to do a blog. It, 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 the best writers on the planet, Ryan Holiday, in his new book, Ryan Holiday will have had resistance. He'll have had writer's block. He'll have woken up one morning and wanted to do anything other than be a writer. Mm. And if you can get through it, that is what differentiates you. And that's a really interesting thing because it takes talent out of the equation. You're like, look, can I just suffer a little bit? And I yeah. think that a lot of people presume that the most talented or the most successful people in the world perhaps don't feel suffering the same way that everyone else does or feel mm. discomfort or boredom. Um, another James Clear analogy from Atomic Habits, which is wonderful, talked to the head of the Chinese weightlifting team in their biggest um, improvement period and he said, what is it that separates the good from the great, the absolute yeah. best? And he says, it's the athletes who are prepared to deal with the boredom of training day in, day out. Mm. And that removes all of the things that we think about success. It's not about that. It's not about th these people. Matt Fraser, you know, four times CrossFit Games champion, fittest man on the planet. He doesn't love going in and doing a one hour uh, concept two rower test. No That's one not. loves that. No one gets gassed for that on a morning, but Matt's prepared to go do it. Mm -hmm. So are you prepared to go and do it? Are you prepared mm -hmm. to go and coach the football team again, to go and do another set, another push-pull leg session? Are you prepared to go and do more accessory work that just drives your head into the ground or to try and learn that chord that you just can't get no matter how hard you do it? And if you do, then you come out the other side. Yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. And I mean, you sort of... I don't know whether intentionally or inadvertently you used like a gym analogy, right? And part of why I love the gym and why I love resistance training in particular, why I love lifting weights is, you know, not just to be jacked and have a six pack or whatever, but because it's the same, you, you just apply that to everything in life, right? Reps. You said repetitions, right? You put in, how do you get good at something? You put in the reps, right? You just keep on each individual repetition on a bench press or on a squat or on a deadlift that isn't going to do much just like you were saying with the hammer the hammer striking right but over a period of time over six months over a year over five years over 10 years it's like whoa that's that's what created it and if you can deal with that resilience it teaches you consistency um discipline perseverance everything it takes to build an impressive physique is the same mentally it's the same thing it takes to make a good successful podcast it's the same thing it takes to become a successful um musician a successful entrepreneur business owner or whatever you have to get through what you what you said right i i use the say um i like to say embrace the suck right you just have to accept it's gonna suck just stop focusing on the on the um stop focusing on the outcome and just focus on the process just get the process right it might be boring it won't be fun you're probably not going to see any sort of impressive results for a very, very long period of time, but you've just got to embrace that, embrace the process, get through it. And like you said, you can often win just by being the person who keeps going, 
just if by being the, the person who keeps going. Standing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, man. There's a really interesting, you touched on, on, on the, the gym and how it relates to sort of being conscientious. It's a really interesting evolutionary psychology insight into why women are attracted to men with muscles, uh, which is a few, a few things. Firstly, it shows that the man can get surplus calories, which evolutionarily would have been really, really rare. Mm. To have seen a non-skinny human unless they had like a weird thyroid uh, problem would have been almost impossible. We, we didn't have a surplus. We had a scarcity. Yeah. Um, so, and that hasn't been deprogrammed. But the most important thing, the thing that I thought was really fascinating is that um, someone who is in good condition from the gym has to be conscientious. They have to have agency. They have to be self-disciplined. These are all wonderful traits to yeah. find in a partner. Mm. You want to have someone who at the first challenge in your relationship isn't going to just throw their hands up and say, I quit. You don't want someone who at the first temptation from another, another uh, potential partner or whatever, mm. the same way they do with the donut, is just going to fold and say, yeah, yeah, temptation is easier. Take yeah. the easy route. Um, so using your physique as an objective outward display of internally what's going on mm -hmm. is one of the few ways you can do it. I, I can't tell how mindful someone is by looking at them. You can have logged 10,000 hours of meditation, mm. but there's no objective, externalized, socialized measure of that. No. But there is with the way that you look. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there is with your bank account as well. Mm. The, how much have you managed to quantify your wealth? Sure. Um, and with a couple of other things, but it's a, a, it's a good selector, man. I think, yeah, uh, most definitely. Anyone that's listening to this and doesn't know that they should be doing resistance Go to the training gym. after. Go to the gym. Yeah. Buy my book. The, Listen yeah, to Chris's podcast. Link in, go link, to the... link, link in show notes. <laughs> go buy Zuby's book. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what? To me, it's like, okay, besides the time and the fact that I guess it's hard, which some people consider a downside, but it's one of the, it's one thing that to me has like, it's all upside. Like it's all upside. Like as long as you can do it and I look, everyone can do it. But besides that temporary thing of, you know, the few hours a week that you may spend lifting some weights and feeling some discomfort, it's like, it's it's weird when I get people ask me like oh what like what's the point like what's the point of doing resistance training like what's the point of lifting weights oh you don't need to be that strong what's the point of that I'm like oh my gosh where do I begin it's like it's That's like a question. every facet I would, of your I life I wouldn't like, have an answer to it yeah everything. like it's so it's so obvious mm. um but yeah man like even with places like the gym and uh, pure pure gym and stuff like that. It's 13 pounds for a 24-hour membership. Yeah. Like, that's, that's two <laughs> drinks on a night out. That's not even a meal. That's not yeah. even a main in an all-right restaurant. So, yeah, yeah dude, I, I think Douglas Murray lifts weights. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to know. <laughs> if it's good enough for Gad Sad and Douglas Murray, good enough for you. There I we go. That. Next point. <laughs> I love that, man. I mean, with, look with some of the, with some of the guests you you've had on your show, man. You've had um, you know, you've you've had some of the greatest and most interesting thinkers in the world. Um, you know, you've mentioned Gad Sad, you've mentioned Douglas Murray, you know, a whole bunch of other a lot lot of people. Um, some of whom I've had the pleasure to to speak to as well. And there's been um, how would I put it? You know, some of the people you speak to are deemed controversial in this modern world that we live in, you know, where sort of everything is controversial. It seems like just using logic and reason and um, <laughs> being willing to engage with ideas and actually converse with them is somehow controversial. So number one, I guess, what are your thoughts on that in general? 
But number two, because I know this is a question you know you you ask your guests. But where do you where do you see it going? Where do, how do you think that society and culture and the political climate and all that say maybe in the UK, but also in the US and the West in general? Where do you think it's going? Do you think that things are going to get better, get worse, maybe a bit of both? What are your thoughts on the general climate? It's a good question, man. I think. Sadly, even though we're in the UK, um, there will be a ripple effect of what happens in November mm -hmm. um, to us over in the UK. We're seeing that BLM protests occurred over here. We've generally had kind of like heightened tensions um, with even our general election. Our most recent general election was like oh, America. America kicks off when they have an election. Let's all let's let that's cool. That's the way it works. Like when mm. you've got 330 million people doing anything and they're all quite like everyone from america even the most carony karen from america sounds kind of polished on <laughs> on instagram or like on a video just because they got a cool accent and they're always shouting about something so um i that's don't funny. know man. that's funny because they think the same about british people well that's it the, the competitive <laughs> advantage of having a foreign accent that the other people can understand is phenomenal um my primary interest in life is maximizing personal agency. Mm. I want people to be in full control of their life, consciously designing the things that they do. I don't want them to be dealing with societal norms, past traumas, genetic predispositions, path of least resistance. I don't want any of that. Um, and that was the primary reason I started Modern Wisdom. So I was speaking to people like James Clear, who would talk about designing habits, or Robert, Robert Greene on mm. human nature, or Ryan Holiday about stoicism and resilience and stuff like that. Um, but you're right, even me as someone who, I've never voted, so I have no primary natural interest in politics. Sure. Douglas Murray's been on the show twice. Stefan Molyneux came back on the show after he was banned from YouTube. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone is getting dragged into a political discussion at the moment. Hmm. The best thing that you can do for me is to do some self-work, work out what your values are. What do you genuinely value in life? I value curiosity, adventure, self-development, excellence, um, and self-care. Those mm. are my five core values. So I build my life around that. But if you don't know what yours are, and someone comes in with a very seductive political position, you're very quickly going to bend to that. And that's quite dangerous because you're living their life. You're not living yours. Yeah. Um, so I think that personal agency and sovereignty is, is a, a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that having genuine curiosity for other people's points of view helps to stop you from feeling offended when it doesn't agree. Mm -hmm. um, like if everyone on left and right was actually like, okay, I think you're very wrong, but I am so interested to find out why you think that's right. Yeah. All of the vitriol stops. It does. Which is why curiosity is such a, a uniquely useful trait. And every, every podcast, every good podcaster on the planet has it. It's like one of their key traits, right? You just want to find out why. You were the kid, the kid who was told to shut up because it's like, why, 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 why? Um, you mentioned about kind of, I guess, the, the challenge of platforming uh, controversial voices. Mm. Stefan Molyneux is a perfect example of this, man. Like yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he's a guy who's had his entire media empire in whatever form it was removed. Million person YouTube channel, all of his Twitter, like everything. He's in the He's in like Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos realm gulag, now. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's he's in the gulag and he hasn't yeah. won his he hasn't won his duel. Um, so, and I had him on, and I got like some one star reviews on Apple Podcasts from people saying, "Can't believe that you get, can't believe you platformed this guy." And I'm like, dude, come on! Like, 
the opportunity, it's, it's so cliche to even say it, Matt. It sounds trite now to be like, look, the best way to counter controversial voices is to let them speak and to then, you know, engage them in, in proper conversation. Yeah. And I'm just sick of it. Like, I'm, I really am bored. The last two podcasts I've done that were political, Douglas Murray and Sad, uh, Gad Sad, I asked them both the same question. I'm going to ask you it as well. Um, are you bored of talking about identity politics and or social justice? Yeah, I was bored. Of, I was bored before I joined the conversation because I had been having those conversations since maybe around 2015, 2014, 2015. You're started... from the wokest town in the UK, aren't you? I, am you I? Live in the... is, is it not? Is it Brighton that you're in? Oh, no, I'm uh, in South, Southampton. So, Southampton, oh, no. that was it. Sorry. Oh, no, no, uh, definitely that... not Brighton. I'm not a Brighton. Sorry. Um, but that whole like South Coast, I'd, I think we spoke about this on DM ages ago. Um, like Southampton, I think, is like top three woke cities really in the uk yeah i'm not sure if that's true anyone tell us in I, the comments hmm. tell us in the comments below I'm, i I might have got it wrong yeah definitely um, brighton definitely brighton yeah but okay. uh southampton i don't know and bournemouth bournemouth votes conservative um southampton oh, is southampton mainly I'm conservative I'm, I'm not sure someone will tweet us and tell us someone yeah. knows the statistics for this yeah, um, so yeah brighton is you super were, woke, yeah you were bored already yeah, I was, dude, I was bored before I joined the conversation. I joined the conversation because I felt a moral compulsion to. I think, I think someone like Gad Sad is a bit like this. I don't think someone like Gad Sad is, is, you know, on paper, super political, but... It's been conscripted. Yeah, yeah, basically, right? Because, <laughs> like, with me, I mean, you gotta remember, I mean, I've been on, I've been on social media since 2004. I've been on Twitter since 2009. I've been doing my music since 2006. And... Up until 2018, you know, on in a on a public level, people knew very little about my my politics or my views on religion or anything remotely contentious, right? Because I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want it to distract from my music. I didn't want to polarize people, etc. So, you know, I talk about that stuff privately, but on the in the, in a public setting, I wouldn't do it. And do you actually know what the tipping point is for me? Because uh, I think a lot of people don't know this. I think some people wonder how I got involved in the conversation. But in 2018, um, there's there's someone I know who at the time was uh, the president of a university of the of one of the student unions at a university here in the UK. Um, I'm not going to be super specific, just because you know protect his identity, whatever. But um, you know, someone who I know is you know very very social justicey. You know, we're friends on Facebook. I've met him in real life a couple times, etc. And anyway, there was um, he's always posting like bizarre SJW stuff on Facebook, and I typically just ignore it. But there was something that he posted um, early 2018, which was something along the lines of, "I support free speech." but I don't support hate speech and we must make sure that universities are a safe space from dangerous ideas and I'm, we, are, we should be open to debate, but we shouldn't be platforming people whose ideas are harmful, that kind of thing. And I was like, hmm, wait a second here. One and step keep in too mind, far, straw yeah, that broke the camel's back. Yeah, and keep in mind, you know, I've, seen, I've been seeing what's been happening in Canada in USA, I've seen what happened with um, Jordan Peterson. I saw what happened with Brett Brett Weinstein at Evergreen. I've been I've been following this conversation. I've been watching the Rubin Report. I've been what so I'm like, oh wow, okay, this this is close to home, right? And I'm like, and this person, this isn't a random person. This is the president of the student union who is saying, I support free speech, but right, you know that but, and 
So I kind of, so I actually responded to this publicly and, you know, we both have had, you know, quite a lot of followers and friends on Facebook. So this is, this was, became quite a public conversation. And I was, I said something along the lines of, you know, if you don't, you know, it's very important for universities to support free speech. You can't just pick and, you know, who's the arbiter. You can't just pick and choose what you consider, you know, right and proper and should be allowed and shouldn't be allowed, et cetera. I can't remember my exact wording. And then he said something along the lines of, um, you know, free speech doesn't cover hate speech. And I said, okay, well, who, you know, who sets the bounds for hate speech? What's discovered? And so, anyway, we had a whole back and forth conversation in which he tried to pull in a lot of other people, but the people he kept pulling in actually kept agreeing with me, which was quite funny. And then um, in, in the end, he actually said, he said, he literally said, people like Zuby who have regressive and harmful views, which could potentially get people killed, should not be allowed on university campuses in the UK. Okay? So, according to this person, a student union president, I, someone like me, should not be allowed on a university campus. Right? <laughs> As reasonable... You're dangerous, no-swear yeah. rapping. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right? So... And he literally said that people with views like mine, but keep in mind in this thread, I hadn't even really spoken about any of my political views. He said, views like yours get people killed. And so I was like, okay, this is where we are. Like this, this is, this is not something I can sit on the side sidelines of, right? If a felt, university felt like you got your conscription service there. yeah, Exactly. That, that was actually the thing that dropped for me where I was like, you know what? We need to push back on this thing. Like this is before the people, you know, this is before the word woke was really being used. But this, you know, this whole thing, I was like, you know what? I need to go to war a little. Right? So <laughs> and, and from that moment, I just started being a lot more vocal on Twitter. And it started resonating too, right? I just started saying, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to put everything out there, but I'm going to weigh in on some of these conversations. And people just started taking to that. And that's when stuff really started growing for me. Do you think that you will utilize your audience anytime soon to pivot it away from identity politics? Yeah. I mean, I, I already do. I already do. I mean, that's you, not, you do, you're pushing, you're pushing the, um, the fitness, like you guys, yeah. you need to have the, but there is still, you know, there's, there's still that flavor to it. Um, mm. you know, where you've, where you've got that, is that something, are you looking for an out? Are you looking for an exit kind of, do you know what I mean? I, I get you, you know, not, not really, not really. I mean, it doesn't wear me down as much as it may weigh down other people, because to me, it's a very small percentage of what I talk about, I think, and what I do in general, like I'm not the identity politics, racial politics, politics in general guy. Like that's not my, that's not the thing that's floating around my head all day. Um, I'm a lot more interested in, um, you know, human psychology and society and cult. Like I consider myself more of a cultural, if I'm an, if I'm any kind of warrior, I'd consider myself more of a cultural warrior than a political warrior. But as you know, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a blur there. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to talk about society and culture and morality and what's going on, what's happening in the future. It's hard to talk about all that without it you know, veering into politics without it veering into religion, et cetera, because these things are all intertwined, like on a deep political level or on a party political level. I, I, I don't talk about politics much in terms of sort of 
party politics. Like you won't hear me talking a lot about the the Tories did this Fiscal and Labor did that. Of this, blah, yeah, blah, blah, or yeah. even you know the Tory party, the Labor party, the Democrats, the Republicans. Like I don't even even the left and the right. Like I I try actually not to use those terms because I don't want to play into the sort of false binary and this idea that everyone is you know just left or right. Um, I know it's a lot more nuanced and complicated than that. Um, so I personally try not to play into it too much. Sometimes though, it's like, sometimes I just need to say something, you know, like say when I, when I just start seeing like stuff just going off the rails. Okay. Let's, okay. Recently this, um, this cuties film on Netflix, Mm -hmm. right. Where you, where they, they've got 11 year old girls. You've made a, you've made a film about 11 year old girl, 11 year old girls twerking. Right, like, did you see? Did you <laughs> okay, see ben, ben Shapiro's breakdown of this? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Um, so I get. Um, well, that's a, that's a good point. Um, what were my thoughts on it? So it, just to, so, to kind of preface this for yeah, anyone who doesn't know, Cuties, this Netflix show that's about a girl who's uh, from a very traditional sort of religious uh, background, then gets hypersexualized at a young age uh, in America. Um, and the show is, I think, supposed to be highlighting the fact that increasingly with Instagram culture and stuff like that, that girls are becoming increasingly sexualized early. Mm-hmm. The contention by everyone is that the delivery mechanism for doing that breaks a particular boundary, yes. which should never be broken. Agreed. Now, I've not seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I've seen the clip that mm-hmm. everyone who's watching probably seen. Um but I haven't seen the bit that Ben Shapiro brought up, which is that the girl who's become hypersexualized at 11 years old then breaks down crying, wears a roll-up jumper and puts a scarf on immediately afterwards and runs to her parents. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, supposed to be a call to arms for people to realize this isn't acceptable. Yeah. But do you know what the delivery mechanism for mm. it appears to be just so atrocious yeah. that people can't handle it. And then there's these things about 600 girls came and exactly. practiced twerking. Exactly in front of these producers. Yeah, look, so give, he, my, give me your thoughts on Ben's, yeah. Ben's view. So l- let me not focus on what Ben said, but my general view on it is that the context doesn't matter to me. Like you should not have a movie where you have 11-year-old girls, you know, twerking and humping the floor and, and you know, dressed in certain outfits. And like it, the context, the context doesn't matter to me. Just like I don't think you should have, um, you don't need to actually torture a puppy in a movie like actually torture a puppy to get the point across that it's wrong to torture a puppy and you don't need to actually sexualize a bunch of underage girls you know maybe you said 600 auditioned or something and how do, so how do this you this th- is a that, that's something okay saw okay probably probably hundreds so ma- like yeah so maybe. how how did how did they audition right what was the pro- what was the process right any situation where you're having them even if they're acting right whatever to me like what with me, like there are a few things that I have like a really hard line on. I think maybe the hardest line is stuff that has to do with children. You see what I mean? Like if it's if it's adults and there's a whole bunch of movies and types of entertainment and whatever that I don't like, right? You know, whether it's entertainment or things that exist in like there's a lot of stuff that I do not like personally. You I may even vehemently disagree with it on a moral level. But if it is adults and it's consenting adults, you know, as long as it is not criminal. I don't need to approve of it, but okay, children, you know, I'm not a father yet, but that's when the inner father within me 
comes out and I'm just like, no, right? No, the context doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I haven't seen Cuties. It doesn't matter so that I not, haven't seen the film. Like you should not be taking an 11 year old girl and doing this. It's not just the context, I think, that you disagree with, but it's the end goal as well. So not only do you disagree with the means, but that the ends aren't worth the means. No, that, I, don't like, think, it, I, don't, I don't think the ends are ever worth the means to do that. Look, they could have even made it an animated film. Right. If they if it were an if it were an animated film and you didn't actually take all these girls and do this and you want you're you're genuinely trying to make the point that we shouldn't be sexualizing young girls, etc., which is, you know, a, a fair point. Like you can do it without actually sexualizing <laughs> the young girls, right? That, that's feel, the problem. It does feel a little bit like being molested by your therapist. Like yeah. I've come to you for you to try and fix what this problem is mm -hmm. and the person who I've come to that's supposed to be here to help has done the thing precisely that we were supposed to be stopping. So this yeah. is, this is a, a, um, an interesting point for me to try and put across something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Mm -hmm. And it relates back to the are you bored of, of social justice and these debates online. Um, Douglas Murray's been using this term for a little while about we are standing on the precipice, uh, which is an interesting term because I read a book this year called The Precipice by Toby Ord who's from the Future of Humanities Institute at Oxford University. Okay. So he works on existential risk. Um, civilization ending catastrophes, meteors, anthropological risks, global warming, uh, bioweapons, nuclear war, uh, threat of um, malignant artificial intelligence, all this stuff. Mm. Toby Ord's book, he puts the chances that we as a society, as a civilization, survive without causing ourselves an existential threat which permanently down-regulates our ability to reach our full potential. The chance that we survive the next century at one in three. The okay. chance that we as a civilization, as a species, reach our full potential, galaxy colonizing, you know, fully actualized is one in two. Mm -hmm. So the vast, vast, vast majority of a risk, uh, of the risk for us as a civilization occurs within the next hundred years. Like people who don't understand just how fragile and how much of a knife edge the entire future trillions of lives trillions and trillions and trillions of lives and then the simulations that come off the back of that and then the, the fact that we're the only as far as we're aware the only species in the entire universe who is able to step into their own morality mm. lion kills lion i can save both lions by being by stepping in i'm the only one that can do that right yeah. the implications are unbelievable insurmountable right mm -hmm. and the brightest minds on the planet are spending their time <laughs> telling netflix not to put 11 year olds on or that men with beards who say that they're a woman aren't a woman yep. i do not want someone with gad sad's polymath background dude that's the first <laughs> time i swore i promised myself i wasn't going to swear on this podcast <laughs> um james Lindsay, phd in yeah. pure mathematics yeah. bro Get us to Mars. Stop reading social justice. I don't want, I don't want yeah. his time to be taken up. And that's not for me to say that it isn't a worthy investment of his time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it, it perhaps is. Yeah. But if we weren't so self-defeating as a species, so small-minded, like, do you realize how tribal and idiotic it is for you to be utilizing the smartest minds on the planet mm -hmm. to get people to click on ads or debate that men aren't women? Yep. Like, 
I want Douglas Murray to be teaching me about the most beautiful passages of literature from the last 500 years yeah. so that I can understand the wisdom of the sages of the past. Mm -hmm. I do not want him to re-release as, as beautiful as it is, I don't want it to re-release the madness of crowds. Yep. I don't want it to be singing Nicki Minaj because it highlights the ridiculousness <laughs> of like of, of this, this gender imbalance, right? Yep. Like, I, I love the man to bits, but that's not where their energy should be invested. And the worst yeah. thing, the worst, worst, worst thing is like this year there was a pandemic, man. Mm -hmm. Like this was the Love Island season one dress rehearsal dry run for. If the mortality on this had been 30%, we'd be really, really screwed. Yep. Um, and all that's happened is it's made people want to loot and riot more. Yep. Like no one has felt global cohesion. It doesn't even rain everywhere on the planet at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I know what it feels like to be in lockdown, the same as someone in uh, Shanghai, the same as someone in Texas, the same as someone in Africa. I know what that feels like. It's yep. united us as a species and we just blew straight through it. Yep. blew straight through it and back to the same stupid idiotic tribal things that we always have yeah. there's a concept called the great filter by robin hansen which is a, a, a justification for the fermi paradox why have we not seen any aliens he proposes that there's a particular barrier great filter that all civilizations need to get over maybe it's um, wrangling artificial intelligence so that it's uh, compliant and not malicious mm -hmm. maybe it's not killing yourself in nuclear weapons maybe it's global warming maybe it's whatever maybe it's that all sufficiently intelligent civilizations are so tribal that they spend all of their time, energy, and resources with the best and smartest minds on the planet, however they might be, infighting. Because yeah. that's what we're doing. I know that 2020 looks like this technotopia where I can instantly message you and we're, oh, podcasting's amazing, and oh my God, you're on reality TV. We're just apes. We're just apes that can step into our own programming by a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. And the fact that we're not utilizing the legacy that all of the humans that came before us have given us right mm -hmm. now means that we might waste our future. Wow. I think that's pretty pessimistic, man. <laughs> Look, if it stops, but, um, if it stops people from, from fighting on the internet, I think yeah, it's, I do, think it's do, do you know what it is though? It's that the thing, you know, of course, Gad Sad is putting out his book, right? The parasitic mind, which will, which will deal with this. I didn't want to step into this, right? I was happy to not be a public voice on a lot of the things that I now find myself speaking about. But in the absence of those, right, without all the voices that you mentioned, terrible ideas, which in fact increase tribalism and increase resentment and increase hostility are going unopposed, right? They're just oh, dude, running. You guys are, they're running you guys are required soldiers. Yeah. You are mercenaries <laughs> that need to take this stuff down. So, yeah. the, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. This bad thing happens. So you you need a Zuby. Oh my God, they've done another one. Right, where's Jordan? Jo yeah. Mr. Peterson, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Peterson, I require you, please. And yeah. then, oh my God, they've done it again. Right, Rogan, Ruben, get yourself. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I hear you. you. You've, you've, it's like the Avengers. <laughs> and you're like compiling, <laughs> compiling this list of people who have the capacity to understand what's going on in a platform and not enough uh, fear to bother to do it. Yeah. But like, we still it we still shouldn't i shouldn't have to have this I it did. shouldn't be the way that it is man. I, I i hear you man but you know the truth is that life especially when you're talking about you're talking about millions or you're talking about billions of people is life and the human existence is never really about what things should be you know if if it, if if the world were the way i think it should be 
stuff would look real different. <laughs> stuff would look really, really different. In fact, it would look different for every single individual. So it sort of circles back around to what we were saying, right? You know, individual agency, self-empowerment, self-improvement, et cetera. The best that you and I can do is be the best versions of ourselves that we can be and encourage other people to do the same, which is also a big part of my message, right? You know, trying to break people out of victimhood mindset, trying to get people to not see each other by the color of their skin or by their gender or their sexuality, Dude, I whatever, loved, right? I, I loved your height thing that you did the other week. Was it height or suit, I, shoe uh, size? <laughs> I, uh, height, and, height, and eye, yeah, height and eye color, I think. Like, I, I, I really think that other people that are 5'10 <laughs> shouldn't, like, talk to me because of this <laughs> Bro, I was just like... I said I was a height supremacist. That's it. Yeah, exactly. I just don't think that people that are 5'11 really should be talking to me. Like, you, you can stay... You can obviously... I can have people that are 5'11 teaching their children that are also 5'11. But um, really, like, bro, it's just like... And so here's, here's something, like a, a kind of a nice finishing note, I suppose, um, which is a compliment for me to pay you. I think that the... A particular log logic that you use to repurpose the ridiculous ideas that we see in the world at the moment to work against themselves is a art form that very few people have got. So the, the, obviously the classic example is the deadlift video yeah. where the rules have been so twisted, but you're, you, you find a way to make them become their own paradox. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like the, the, the height thing, the Ben Shapiro, why aren't you 60? which I'm sure you'll have seen yeah, from yeah. that video, like, why aren't you 60? Well, why aren't you 60? Yeah. Um, it's exactly the same as that. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a real art form. And another thing, which I wanted to say on air, um, you mentioned, you have noticed today, I've been trying to uh, mind my P's and Q's. Um, between yourself and Alex O'Connor, the Cosmic Skeptic podcast, um, you guys have really influenced me to reduce my swearing whilst I record. Okay. Interesting. Um, I anyone that's a fan of Rogan, like you just f bombs and c bombs all over the place because he's yeah. a bro, right? You know, yeah. like when you live in now, he lives in Texas. I can only imagine that's going to increase. Um, but probably I, decrease. Probably decrease. In Austin, you think? Um, Austin, I don't know Austin, but yeah, I don't know but, L.A. Compared to L.A., Texas is certainly more conservative. But, let's say. But yeah, I, I just uh, like my mom always shouts at me on my show. Like everyone's mum still shouts at them when they swear. You know, like no one's mum is allowed. To, you, your mum could be in her final few days enjoying her time with her family, and you'd like swear in the other room, and she'll still shout at you. Like mom, like, come on. Um, but I don't know what that's uh, yeah, like, the, Chris. I don't know what's, what that's like. I've got a clean mouth. That's true. That is true. <laughs> but yes, I am. I am endeavouring to to do the same. I think that okay, it's that's a cool, man. a worthy. Um, habit to deprogram yeah. and uh that's been you've been a, a big influence on that i'm happy to hear that that's actually really cool man i'm happy to hear that chris dude it's been so good to talk to you bro this will not be certainly will not be our last podcast but before we go where can people check you out online and where can people find your podcast so modern wisdom wherever you're listening just search modern wisdom it'll come up youtube itunes all that or chris williamson just at chris will x twitter instagram wherever it is. Zuby, man, I, I really appreciate this conversation. You're a, you're a great guy. I, uh, it, it's, it's such a shame we were going to spend a bit of time together and then uh, see each other, even though we're at other ends of the country. And then a pandemic hit and kind of got in the way. But once it's done, hopefully we'll get to do, uh, you know, maybe an in-person, maybe a, a, a training, training session or something like that. Yeah, most definitely, awesome. bro. Most definitely, man. We'll, we'll make it happen. Thank you. Nice one, bro. Take care. Sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain.
ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.